Hi, welcome to Stardust Records, a Star Wars podcast. I am your co-host Savi, and today we have a very special guest that's here to help introduce a new era of Star Wars onto our pod, the High Republic, specifically Phase 1. At the time of this recording, I was only through the first half, but I am nearing the end of Phase 1 and I'm very excited. But without further ado, let's introduce our very special guest, Jacob. Welcome to the show, Jacob. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I really appreciate you having me here to talk about The High Republic. Uh, And yeah, I can't wait to kind of go back to some of these books that for me, it's been a little while. I know for you, it's been more recent reading these. But yeah, always really happy to talk about The High Republic. Yeah, you came to mind as a guest when, you know, you gave me the list to read. And I've been following it like exact i know i remember you had said something like well you don't have to read everything yeah but i've been so addicted to this era recently like it's enlightened something in me where anytime i finish a book it's just like right into the next thing so that's great yeah Yeah. it's so much fun there's so much content that i when i send people reading lists i'm like it's a lot there's so much there I don't even know if I recommend, like I've read every single thing. I don't even know if I recommend doing that level of dedication. So I try and like, you don't have to read everything. Maybe start with the adult novels and the YA books and kind of stick with that and see what you like. Maybe dip your toes a little bit more here and there and see what you enjoy most. But it's been really great kind of seeing your journey secondhand as you kind of go through these books. So I've been really enjoying that as well. I think uh, my favorite part have been the adult novels. Mm -hmm. But I do really enjoy kind of jumping into these side stories with the young adult, especially because mm-hmm. I think the characters are really rich, Yes. especially Reed and, and Comac. Like I'm on um, Out of the Shadows now, and I okay. love jumping in with them. And, you know, after meeting Stellan and stuff in The Rising Storm, you know, kind of getting to know Vernestra a little bit on a more personal note. So I guess we can just jump right into it. What I wanted to do is kind of go through the first half so that includes light of the jedi into the dark and then the rising storm so i'm just going by three books the next one will be the last three but we'll start with light of the jedi i labeled it as the infamous first chapter (laughs) but what were your thoughts on it so i read this book when it came out which was january of 2021 and at the time they had put out like normally you know you'll get a few like delray or Penguin Randall House will do like a few preview chapters here or there. For Light of the Jedi, they dropped the first eight chapters all at once as a, it's like a, hey, we're very confident in what we have. Here's a giant preview, which I think takes us up to maybe when you meet like Buriaga or something like that. It might have been like right before you figure out what's in these, you know, hurtling uh, meteors essentially. But it was, I really love the book for throwing you back into a different era. Light of the Jedi has such a difficult job of establishing this world and this universe and i just like the first chapter i think throws you right into what we're going to be facing for the future and i really loved how i was able to pull that off yeah it it really set the tone i had seen you know charles sewell did the little tiktok or whatever about the first chapter responding to somebody making a really funny video about it but i had no idea what it entailed and i read it the last quote really got me where it was kind of a cutoff sentence where one of, I'm forgetting her name, but the captain's... Hedda uh, uh, Cassett. Yeah, I'm assuming, you know, her right hand or whatever was saying it was a pleasure. And then it just cuts off. Right. And I was like, oh, this is this is the direction that we're going in. Yeah. 
and it's like it's so bad so suddenly and then it only gets worse we think it, it the, the crisis is averted you know like after the first part of the book of how it's separated out and then it still somehow manages to get much worse over the course of things just kind of a constant ratcheting up of stakes for the characters in in the book over time yeah and you know because it's not just the emergence that is a threat to the galaxy it's also you know it kind of leads into the nile and um is, is it the Nihil or the Nile? Like the it's river? one of those. I I think it's Nile. I think it's also one of those things like Marcion, Martian that everyone yeah. will debate over. It, and there's probably a right answer, but it's just whatever <laughs> your preference is. I think. Yeah, I think the first 100 pages really like had me. I I I remember having a really difficult time putting the book down because I was just kind of waiting for like a breath. Right. And, it, you know, the first chapter does set the tone. I think that the first 100 pages are, are around that, like with introducing, you know, all of the, the Jedi. You know, usually when I feel like when we're introduced to characters, we're kind of expecting like a peaceful introduction to them. But we meet all of these Jedi in a time of crisis. Right. And, and some of them, you know, they even they die the time that we meet them. Right. And. It's it's a really interesting way to character build or, or world build. What master and Padawan relationship or what Jedi attracted you the most in this part of the book? In this part specifically, I, I, I have characters, I think, in this section that I grew to love more over the course of the other books. But I think in this like specific intro section, it probably has to be, as far as like a, a group, it has to be uh, Bell and Loden. I, I think just like their relationship is so special. Um and how I don't know, like Loden pushes Bell to achieve like his best, but it's it's in a way that we haven't. I don't think it's really we've seen as much with like an Anakin or Obi Wan or even Qui Gon and Obi Wan type pairing. That I think there's something unique and special about their relationship that I really loved. Yeah, and that whole scene with I know I just read the book, but everything is kind of fleeting now that yeah. I'm talking about it. But when they're the people are outside of the gated house you really get um, a sense of that relationship and i loved the I, i'm gonna call it foreshadowing but when Loden is kind of teaching bell how to jump and to land or how to fall yeah. to land yeah i thought that that was a great introduction to you know the dynamic that they have and that we see throughout the book another kind of instance that i have touched upon before but what i really liked about light of the jedi it's that it wasn't really just about the jedi it also felt like a people story so like the second chapter was about the um the station worker and we kind of learned that he has a crush on a barkeep you know his last act is sending a, a beacon out before he dies and we never really know like what happens to the barkeep and I thought that that was such an interesting way to show, you know, the galaxy or like the state of the galaxy at this point in time is kind of unforgiving where it's starting to be essentially. I don't know. What did you think? I, yeah, I actually, cause I, so I was re-listening to part of the book uh, this week to just kind of refresh my mind. I made it through about the first part. Uh, so after the Hetzel um, situation is resolved, but I think one of the thoughts that came out of it was actually, how well Charles Soule does like just depicting the like regular people on the ground. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you have your Jedi, you have like the Republican defense coalition, you have all these like power players, but then you also have just, yeah, the, the radar technician or um, 
just like the random people that like have to evacuate a satellite or whatever like there's all these just normal people going about their lives and i think he does a really good job or also the people on the legacy run as well of just encapsulating their lives and showing really well how they're reflecting and reacting to the world around them that is like almost larger than life with bell and Loden jumping out of a spaceship or avar chris floating on a a deck of a ship with their lightsaber in front of her conducting dozens of jedi around a solar system i I think there's the scale of the world around them is so almost impossible to comprehend but it's just regular people on the ground at the end of the day and i really like how he brought that out yeah uh the two people that really called out to me the most was um was it pika Oh, Josh and Pika Adrian. Yeah, Josh and Pika and, you know, husband and wife. And I think my favorite aspect of the chapters that they're in is that she's like, oh, we were supposed to go on vacation. <laughs> and like, this is where we are. Right. But I know they jump into it a little bit deeper on the Starlight story. They are in the first, there's two stories. The Okay, the first ever technically like released High Republic story was the first it's called Starlight Go Together Part 1 was released like the month before Lie of the Jedi this is very obscure it is the how they're talking about at the in the book in Lie of the Jedi about how they got held up at uh, Starlight Beacon because of a, a delay and that's why they were in Hetzel at the right time that tells that story with Joss and Pika and then there's a Go Together Part 2 that is after Lie of the Jedi and then most of the other phase one short stories are other people but yeah, they, they they still do come back later in, in the phase, and, and yeah, they're just a very I I love them. They're great. I do too. It's a nice nod to real life, I I guess, because sometimes it's hard to see yourself in characters like Jedi, like you said, that are larger than life. But when there are people to kind of put yourself in the shoes of in a story, they and they make it really easy to. It's nice to see yourself and. A character i suppose or in this galaxy so what new insights into the force or the jedi did you obtain from this book i think the the big obvious one is just the different interpretations of how they see the force like prior to the higher public it's always like what we've seen in the movies of like it's an interconnected web of energy that binds all living creatures together or you know whatever obi-wan says back in the new hope and what yoda says but here you have like you know, Loden seen it or not Loden, sorry, Bell seen it like a fire and, and Buryaga seen it like a, a big tree and Elzar seen it as like a deep ocean. And it, obviously the song of the force with Avar Chris, like there's so many, I think, different ways that these Jedi approach the force and how they interpret it. And it really kind of goes to show how their character interacts with the world around them. Um, and I think at least like my personal belief is as these Jedi head away from individuality of like how they are in the higher public era towards the prequel eras, I think that's probably why this sort of individual philosophy goes away. But the, yeah, that just that addition of this individualistic interpretations, I think is a really great addition to the force and the Jedi as a whole. Yeah. I was definitely thinking the same thing. I, I, I don't think I've ever, you know, personally, like I'm kind of new to the book universe of star wars but i've never really read such an in-depth description of the force in such different and such unique ways and you know you never really think of how the jedi feel it they you just kind of think that they have it i'm doing quotation marks but 
this was like this was definitely something that kind of opened my eyes you know i'm more of a rebellion era fan i think so jumping into something that's so heavy on like jedi lore was intimidating but i feel like this book does a great job of kind of easing you into it but also in the way where you're just kind of immediately into it like you're literally in the middle of a disaster you know at the same time the emergence is happening we have we're introduced the to the larger antagonist which is the nile and i've never really you know i'm not so used to an antagonist aside from the empire so this was a really cool introduction to something so massively different what did you think of the nile's culture because i know that it's not militaristic and there's obviously some history regarding Markion's, you know familial background right yeah i think it was a big adjustment like you said we're so used to the empire or the separatist alliance or the first order where there is just some sort of rigid order and the nile is the as i mean as far possibly away from that as you can be like they're you know elements of like space vikings and raiders and pirates where there it's chaos and when they're getting together it's a giant like rager where people are going to die because of how insane they are like of one still one of my favorite scenes is um jumping ahead a little bit to iriadu when kasav's storm lets iriadu basically get destroyed by emergencies because they're on drugs and listening to rec punk music um so it's just oh yeah i mean literally a chaos that kind of consumes this part of the galaxy and i think there's such an interesting force because of how i mean martian is very calculating and everything but as as a whole they are so unpredictable and i think that makes them very interesting yeah one of my favorite parts in the book especially in regards to martian's character is when he I forget her first name with the Santeca. Oh, uh, Marie. Yeah, who's writing all the paths for him. You know, we kind of get a little window to his, I suppose, his personality or, you know, somewhere where he's not around, you know, the other the other Tempests. And, you know, his, his mask is off, if I'm remembering right. And I think that that's a really symbolic way to sh- show us, like, these two different but somehow the same sides of Marcion. Where it's like when the mask is on, it's like people see him. Well, I don't know where I'm going with this. I think I have to think about it. He, he's a he's a complex character with a lot of different like layers to him. Uh, like yeah, yeah. Just depending on what his goal is, where like what the setting he's in, who he's around, he's going to act pretty differently. Um, and I think that's part of part of like the enigma of you're really. It takes you a while, I think, to really understand who he really is as a reader, even. Um, yeah. And he always likes to keep the people around him unsure of what his next move is, I think. Yeah. And this is in Rising Storm, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but there's a scene where Han and Lorna and the rest of their uh, Tempests are kind of cornering him, essentially, in the forest, wherever it was. And you like hear Murkion's thoughts and how he's kind of like looking at Lorna and he's like, Lorna will take this, we'll take the strongest, like we'll side with the strongest or like he's kind of predicting things before they're happening essentially. And there's even a moment where he kind of catches himself where he admits that Mari Santeca is, is like a thing and he just admitted it. Some of my favorite moments in these books are with him. Right. And I, I think he's just super well written. 
No, I totally agree. He's a, he's a very compelling main villain. I think it's really nice to have someone this strong be opposing the Jedi and what is supposed to be like the height of their order. Yeah. And, you know, he's so different from, I feel like, Vader in a way. I don't know. I'm, again, like, I'm so used to Vader being the antagonist and I'm so used to his ways, but then being introduced to a completely different antagonist with completely different you know, ways and is more unhinged somehow. Like in Out of the Shadows, I'm reading now, he just threw a sticky bomb at somebody and the right. man was dead. So it's like, I don't know. It, it, he's definitely, like you said, a complex character, but we don't get a lot of him or the Nile in Into the Dark, which right. this is me kind of leading into that. But we do get, you know, a situation surrounding four or three Jedi and you know their crew that they head off to to the Amaxine station but this is where we're introduced to okay correct me if i'm wrong but is wreath your favorite character i i have a really hard time pinning down a favorite character but he's like for the higher public he is definitely top three at the very least who is in your top three i'm curious i would say wreath court and this is tough. I mean, maybe Marta Rowe, but that's a phase two thing. You can you can worry about that in a couple months. He's definitely in my top three too. I think. Yeah. I do love Cora. I, the <laughs> I love his little <laughs> antics. So we kind of are introduced to Wraith, and you know, during the events of Light of the Jedi, he loses his master, Jora, who I was kind of obsessed with her when we had her because my favorite part with her was when she was just like. The force is just the force. Yeah. And I kind of loved her nonchalantness, essentially. But I also thought she was such a good master to wreath. And there's a moment alone we have with her where she says that she misses him. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really sweet. What did you think of her? She, yeah, she's great. I think she, again, she's so good for wreath. I think she pushes him out of his comfort zone in a way that he probably really needed at that time. Um, can I tell people what our interaction with how we started talking about the higher public? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, so Savi puts out on Twitter being like, I need higher public help people. And I'm like, okay, I can, <laughs> you know, I'm sure I'm happy to help. And she, she messages me. It's like, Please tell me, is this the the last we've ever seen of Wreath and, and uh, Jorah Molly together? Like, can you tell me they're in another book? I'm like, uh, I don't know <laughs> if you're gonna like the answer to this question. She, I'm like, she's in other stuff, kind of. He's he's not there. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I had a moment, like, because yeah. I definitely attached myself to her a little bit too early, but. Um... It's hard I to like characters in this era because they're not, it's like kind of like the Game of Thrones still universe. Like if you like anyone too much, they're not going to have a good time in the long run. Well, of course, you know, I knew Stellan's end right. because, you know, I, I was on Twitter when The Rising Storm came out and like, I, I never thought I would read The High Republic, but The Rising Storm, I just had this like moment of dread as I was reading some of Stellan's POVs and I was like, Damn it. Like, yeah. I like him so much. Stardust M had told me to read Into the Dark first. I told her I was having like a little bit of hard time jumping into the era. So she was like, mm -hmm. I think you'll like this first. Or I think that you'll find it a little bit easier to kind of jump in with the smaller narrowed in story. But right. when I was listening to the audiobook and I was like making dinner, Wreath had asked one of the droids like, oh, where's Master Jorah? Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, she's dead. It's like... <laughs> Yeah. I was like, man, what an awful way to find out. Right. 
But um, no, I thought that, like you said, like she does get him out of his comfort zone, even, you know, outside, even when she's not there. Because mm-hmm. I've, I've been thinking now with where I am now in my read, but he wants to be out in the galaxy. He, he you know, he's literally tossing and turning in bed and he's like, like, I, I don't. I don't know if I can go back to Coruscant. Like, I have this need to be out in the galaxy. And at the beginning of Into the Dark, he's so against leaving Coruscant. So Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, between then and where I am now, I was like, that's so much growth. And I'm so proud. (laughs) Right. I I think someone had mentioned to me recently, like, comparing him to, like, Bilbo Baggins. It's just kind of like a... I think an archetype of like the hero's journey where like you have to reject the journey at the at the first end of it where like yeah he does not want to go he this is why I love him so much he's the you know little little shy brown hair uh little boy who loves being in the library and doesn't want to go outside and like that's you know that's I I resonate with that so much but then yeah as you get to out of the shadows and, and further on he has really fundamentally changed one based on like the loss of orla or not orla sorry jora um and then just the galaxy changing around him he, he kind of has to unfortunately a lot of these characters especially the young ones have to grow and adapt so fast yeah I, i've i've noticed that throughout the young adult books especially i'm already halfway done but um yeah i i just think about how it's especially hard on them like Vernestra talking about Valo and and how that kind of affected her and then Emery with his you know with his empathy and and how strongly he feels it and then even Stellan Vernestra asked if he's okay and you know he's like well I've been better and he physically is kind of showing the effects of what happens in a galaxy under fire like this I especially want to talk about Lena so eventually mm-hmm. I feel like she's been so thought provoking for me I personally feel like she diagnosed the galaxy as safe a little too quick mm-hmm. but I don't think that she's a bad chancellor no i feel like some people have disagreed but what do you think i think she is a good chancellor but is unfortunately is elected in office at a really bad time in the galaxy i don't know she yeah if it was peacetime i think she would have done you know an amazing job for everyone just between like you know imagine putting up with the nile wasn't there having starlight beacon put up having like the republic fair going out like you really reuniting the galaxy kind of outstretching more into the outer rim and kind of really trying to unite people in a way that maybe hadn't been done in the past um but you know maybe she is not well suited for i guess like an insurgency war but like i don't know that that's the the number one priority i would want in a chancellor it's just (laughs) unfortunate that the galaxy has gone into turmoil at this time like i know a lot of people like to compare her with like the you know the great works of Lena So with like the like um the oh gosh the New Deal era kind of like FDR in the real world of like yeah. really pushing forward at this time of expansion. Um, but yeah, I, I think she's a great character. It's just the problem is she's not well suited for the galaxy they live in at this time. Yeah, I feel like not only is she a great chancellor, but we get you know a POV from her son, who if I remember correctly says that. You know, she always would make time for him and she, regardless of being a chancellor and so busy all the time and traveling a lot, they were always together in some way or another. And then, you know, the whole part in Rising Storm where she's helping civilians, you know, and 
gets injured in the process and you know loses a leg i think that her intentions are good but like as you said it's almost like it's the wrong place wrong or wrong per wrong time right person right I, I think that she's a really great character and i especially love that she has those two little lions with her well not yeah. really little but i think that's a cool touch <laughs> it's very regal i love like the the images with like all of them together yes she's such a regal i, I kind of love her she's really cool and then i was reading and i noticed there was a high republic reference in the mandalorian the mountain oh yeah, yes yes i was like that's in the Mandalorian, or was it? Is that what it was referring to? It, so the mountain, that mountain, I can't remember the name off the top of my head right now. It's been a thing in Star Wars like lore for oh. a long time now. But this is, I think, this is one of the more, the higher public is one of the times where it's been more prevalent, at least as recently. Okay, because I was like, I'll need to revisit that Mando episode. But yeah, rewinding because I could talk about Lena So for a long time, but uh. What were your, so we're introduced to Orla and Comac, who I loved. And I loved that they had a pre-established friendship that they, you know, have known each other for a long time. Right. What was it like being introduced to them for you? I really love those two characters. Um, but and just, yeah, well, so I have both of the Ella Comac prints on my wall in the other room. I, I, I think, well, I mean, her art is fantastic. But anyways, uh, yeah, I really like Comac with wreath as well even though like i think jorah might be the better master for wreath i think i still like their dynamic but then like you're saying seeing the flashbacks of orla and Comac's friendship through into the dark and kind of this sort of tra like traumatic experience they had to go through it on on an earlier mission and seeing how that affected both of them as they grew up through the order i think it was, it was a really special experience but yeah i they they were some of my favorite characters in phase one as well i have a lot of favorite characters unfortunately they're all really good uh but i yes i really like their dynamic as well yeah i thought it was really interesting too especially you know them going through a very similar situation that they did 25 years prior to mm -hmm. where we are into the dark and kind of you know there are little moments that i loved where orla kind of looks at comac and you know thinks about you know his facial expression or you know how she can tell how he's feeling and i actually just ordered the orla and comac artwork from ella okay. yeah yeah i'm really i have ella mail coming so oh, i'm excited it, ella mail is my favorite <laughs> me too you know after we're introduced to them we kind of get introduced to a whole other set of characters that are so easy to fall in love with especially geode but Okay, so as somebody who was on the outside of all the Geode oh. inside jokes, I am so happy to get them now. <laughs> I, you know, one of my favorite scenes with Wreath is when he's in the, um, when he's in the food court, I suppose, uh -huh. and Geode is there, and he's just kind of like, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm expecting this. <laughs> I feel like Wreath represent, really represents the reader over the course of the book where you're like so skeptical of like, it's a rock. I don't understand. And by the end, it's like, yeah, Geo's my guy. I like, yeah. I, will, I will die for this man. It, do, <laughs> it still doesn't make sense. Not really. But I am along for the ride. I'm fully bought in by the end of Into the Dark. Yeah. Well, does he appear anywhere else? Yeah. Yeah. He'll, okay. he'll be in some future books for you pretty soon. He's also there. Um, in the higher public adventures annual 
uh that's kind of it's that's separate of like the rest of the higher public adventures things it's a lot of just like little uh adventures and like little stories and one of them involves the vessel crew okay because i did see the one with stellan and vernestra mm-hmm. yep. is that part of that yeah there's a stellan vernestra one there is a lorna d and porter angle one there is the uh vessel crew one there's a Loden and bell one and then the last one will it's it's kind of a prequel to Midnight Horizon, sort of. Okay. I do remember seeing the Stellan and Renesta run. I remember seeing the Bell and mm-hmm. Ember one. Right. Because uh, I remember they saved the, the farmer from the, or the miner from the thing, right. the cave. But I didn't read the others. The ending, actually, with Wreath being saved by Geode, I was in a coffee shop and I was I was trying to finish the book. And I remember I just started crying because <laughs> at the beginning I was like, well, it's a, it's a rock. Like yeah. I, I don't feel like I'm going to get attached to this character in any way, but the ending where Breath said, you're my hero. I just kind of <laughs> lost it over my Kindle. And I was like, I, I love this era. I think, I think I'm going to like it. I'm excited to see Affy and Leox again. Mm-hmm. I think I briefly skipped over the comic, but I'll have to go back to it. I want to revisit everything. I, right. you know, though I've been re- like reading them, I feel like I'm gonna have to do another round of the comics at least. Mm-hmm. But I was so excited to read. Is it Zula? Oh, Lula. Lula. Yeah. Like, see the names get like mixed. I I so, yeah. I filmed like a TikTok this morning. I had to completely delete it because I was just saying the wrong character the entire time for the two of them. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. It's tough, but I I was so excited to read Lula's name in The Rising mm-hmm. Storm when she appeared. I was like, I know her. <laughs> yeah. Are you reading the middle grade books? The uh, A Test of Courage, Ra- Race to Crash Point Tower ones? I started listening to A Test of Courage, okay. and I haven't finished, but I have the audiobooks. That, yeah. Not, not a huge rush. There is a scene in um race crash point tower with vernestra and lula kind of like talking about their issues as like young jedi and it's still one of my favorite things i've read in all the higher public so definitely recommend that i'm at the point in it where they are at like a dinner setting or something and okay. uh you learn like there's a you kind of learn a little bit of mon calamari lore i'll have to re-listen to it but they have whiskers oh yeah, Vernestra was like, "Oh, that reminds me of Mon Calamari whiskers." Okay. And I thought that, that was Lens, my co-host loves Mon Calamari. So I remember, I just like Mon Calamari whiskers. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "Thank oh. you for this knowledge." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of moves on towards the rising storm, but my final thought about the YA novels is that bringing up Emily again, I was like, "Are any of these characters in the in the young adult books?" Mm-hmm. And she was like. No. And then I had remembered, she said Orla eventually moves on yes. to it. Okay. Because I remember Bell Wreath was the thing. Mm. The ship. And yes. I was like, they don't meet? No, they, they meet. Like, they meet? <laughs> yeah, they meet. Wait. Uh, let me, okay. I'm like 90% <laughs> sure they meet. It's hard because like, I'm trying to think of what you know and what I know and not like spoil things. Spoil but I'm pretty okay. sure they meet. Um, all, Every character in Into the Dark that is alive at the end shows back well one small exception all of them show up later do they show up in the adult books mm-hmm. yeah most of them are in the fallen star because claudia gray writes the yeah okay i will say because didn't i was listening to one of your old episodes is 
am I right that Lynn's read phase two or started with phase two and you start with phase one? Yeah. Okay. Phase two, they do a much better job of like, it's adult novel and all these characters show up in the next adult novel and YA to YA, middle grade to middle grade. Mm-hmm. It's very streamlined. Okay. Phase one kind of goes all over the place. Vernestra is in a middle grade book and then a young adult book and then another middle grade book. Um, and yeah, so, and Wreath is in a YA book, another YA book, an adult, yeah, an adult novel, I think. Um, so it's okay. a bit of a, a mess, I would say, from like a reader standpoint, especially if you don't want to read everything. It, it makes it a little hard, but yeah. Yeah, there's somebody who is also going through a high public read for the first time as well and they just read like all of the adult novels mm-hmm. like that's obviously okay because everyone's journey is their own but yeah. i feel like reading everything else with it has made the experience a lot more enriching mm-hmm. i feel like i know a lot more because there are moments where it like nods back to things and i'm like i knew that yeah yeah it really fleshed out the world i also i just remembered that uh, wreath is in midnight horizon he's on the cover of that book i don't know why i forgot that (laughs) he is not in fallen star he's not in fallen star so yeah i don't know that they actually do me now that i'm thinking about it more yeah going back to that conversation i was like oh so it's just vibes and she's like Mm. yeah (laughs) i mean isn't that a lot of ship culture is just we're vibing vibes yeah Yeah. exactly we can jump right into red rising storm then but speaking of ships I have become obsessed with Elzar and Avar. I didn't think that, you know, I would, probably because I thought I wasn't going to read these books, but the epilogue of Light of the Jedi, yes, where they're in the garden together, I was like, this is so re- um, Regency-era-esque. I, yeah, I saw someone had posted, like, a, an art piece of the two of them together dancing, and I'd, like, just, like, immediately, like, the, you know, oh, what's the quotes, like, um... Can we go for a dance like Master Je- or Jedi Master Elzar yeah. Man or something like that? I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was like, last, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> this couple is so beautiful, but I love them. And I think that it adds so much depth to Elzar's character. And there's so many moments in Light of the Jedi between them where they feel like two halves of one whole. Mm-hmm. And I know it's kind of more romantic, but even if people didn't see it as romantic, I think that they're at a unit essentially like right. the scene with the Sentecas on Naboo was one of my favorite scenes because you learn a lot about their dynamic where mm-hmm. she kind of just looks at him and knows right you know going through the epilogue and then him having the vision about all of the Jedi you know dying and mm-hmm. massacre happenings the prologue to the rising storm was really really interesting where Elzar goes to Ashla. Oh, yeah. Yes. And him like literally diluting himself in deep ocean and that's how he feels the force. I thought that that was so I don't even know how to describe it. I think that scene is so I think that's probably one of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. in these three books. I think that it was just really well done. Like to surround yourself in one of the things that you I I don't know how to describe mm-hmm. it. It was just a great scene, but you you kind of kind of catch up with them with him and he's a really big part of the book him and Stellan right you know Elzar is a really interesting character for me I feel like we haven't met a Jedi in this type of situation or like learning learning to deal with things in this way but 
you know, we get both perspectives of Ste- of Elzar from Stellan and Avar, or Avar. You know, how he's kind of in his own, I feel like, when he moved the... I'm rambling about Elzar. Like the floating <laughs> island or whatever. Yeah. And when he kind of uses the force for his own needs, like when he moved the droid closer to him, like just mm-hmm. because he has the force, like he can use it. I, I think that that's a really interesting... The whole scene with Samara, like the whole situation, I it kind of caught me off guard i i know what did you think he, he's very he's much. very messy uh mm-hmm. like I, I like and i mean that's kind of why i like him uh have you read either master and apprentice or dooku jedi lost neither okay good books would recommend anyways okay. there's another like disaster kind of messy character um that is one of dooku's other padawans that was not qui-gon his name is rail avaros and they're i think they they have very similar energy of are a bit chaotic. They are also canonical Jedi that have, you know, slept with other people. So that's always, it, 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 you know, not the most common thing in the world. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I really like Elzar. He's, I mean, I don't think he's quite like Anakin. They both have struggles and sometimes their struggles overlap. But I think how Elzar really wants to deal with it, like he wants to be better than he is, I think. And I think yeah. a lot of that comes with, growing up alongside with Avar and, and Stellan being like your closest friends. And these are like these like pinnacles uh, of the Jedi order for, I guess, like especially their generation where Avar is, you know, the hero of Hetzel and, and Stellan is literally like a Republic propaganda piece after he saves Lena. So on, on Balo, like they're like, these are yeah. paragons in, in the Jedi order. And, and, you know, it's not like a, he's just Ken type moment, but I think Elzar probably does have some, internalized issues with how he stands in the jedi order especially not even being a master until after the first book i think and and, you know having to struggle with frustration and and, and anger and all of that i I think it just makes him a very compelling character to follow yeah i actually didn't even think about it like that with elzar and you know being friends with avar and stellan uh you know having two best friends like you said with such high titles essentially outside of master like a you know a literal council member that's mm-hmm. you know seen as the the poster boy of the jedi council and then the hero of hetzel it's it's a really interesting trio dynamic i think you know we kind of are introduced to him again you know after the situation on starlight beacon with avar and the marshal of Balo. That what that was? Was he the marshal? I don't or was remember he just his title. He was like, I know he's like the the you know representative, like overseen Valo for like especially the the public fair. But I don't remember if he had like a specific title or not. I know Avar is the map the marshal of Starlight Beacon. I don't know if that's yeah. We kind of learned that they're preparing for the Republic Fair, which I was so excited for. You know, like a festival of fun, like a and galactic these... World's Fair kind of yeah. type situation. That'd be so cool if that was a real thing. Obviously, yeah. I wouldn't want the same outcome, but, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I thought that the conflicts with the Nile going on at the same time with Pan mm-hmm. was really interesting because, you know, it's right after, I think his name was Keevan. Keevan? Um, the one that Markeon sacrificed in the oh, battle. Oh, Kasev? Yes. Oh, my gosh. There's so many names. It's but, a lot. <laughs> uh, I thought that that was, okay, but going back to that, that last battle in Light of the Jedi was, mm-hmm. was insane. It was one of my favorite things I've ever read. Going back to this, which was also another favorite thing of mine to read, 
you know, I mentioned it earlier, but Pan and Markian kind of, you know, having that situation, the the argument in the woods or whatever, and then Markian to kind of gain back the this is leading somewhere, I promise. But Markian is kind of he's using the Republic Fair as leeway to like gain back trust of the rest of the the runners or or, or the storm. And I thought that that was such an interesting, you know, aspect to his character where he's willing to go so far to to make sure that these people are kind of still under his, you know what I mean? It's a very interesting dynamic because I think like starting back in Light of the Jedi, you have, you know, I think the Tempest Runners have a very different perception of Martian. It's like, oh, this is, you know, this is Asgard's son. Like the eye of the Nile starting out really isn't in charge. It's more of like a... You know, like it'd be like a separate branch of government kind of like advisory role, but it's the Tempest Runners that really are technically running the show. He's just providing the paths and taking a cut out of, out of their riches. But like he's really sort of facilitating. They are the Tempest Runners are choosing the jobs. But as you know, he kills Kasav. They don't know this at the time, but he kills Kasav. And, um, you know, he's really kind of trying to make a power play over these people that still command a lot of power, but slowly swaying the Nihil to be more under his charge, but also mm-hmm. trying to maintain this kind of tentative state that they have because just because they're, I mean, they still are valuable to him. Like he still needs to preserve that for now uh, and try and slowly, uh, I guess, transition this over to him. But yeah, like the, the interaction on, I think it was on Grisol or whatever, where like he gives him like the electrified helmet or whatever. It was just like a very, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then at that moment, you kind of learn like where Lorna stands because mm-hmm. Lorna takes, you know, helps the helmet out of his hands. And then there's another instance where she kind of helps Pan as well. And I'm failing to remember. Well, they kiss. I remember. Yeah. 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 I forgot about that, actually. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very interesting because like all of these characters are even though they serve a common goal, sort of, uh, they're all so self-interested that like there's, there's a, always a constant tension of getting what the individual wants while also preserving the alliance that they sort of have. Yeah. It is. It's a really interesting thing to read, especially Mm -hmm. because you get all their different point of views and it's like their, their thoughts and their feelings towards another, like regarding trust, changes so quickly. But mm-hmm. it's almost like a survival tactic. I feel like, like Lorna and Markion and Out of the Shadows have this really interesting conversation where they're almost like testing each other, and it's from right. Nan's point of view. And then Markion ends up smiling and laughing, and the whole room chills out. But right. it's 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 almost like. Everything that they do is for a larger audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that the, makes sense. No, yeah, like the the end of Light of the Jedi when he's giving this giant speech in the in like their feast hall is just so performative and like you know he is not he himself I don't think is fanatical in that way but it's like well you know I gotta I gotta sway the crowd so I'm gonna put on a big show we're we're painting our faces I'm giving a huge speech about how Kasav sacrificed himself for the greater good and all this stuff like that so yeah like it's really you know just so manipulative in that way yeah and I find that his feelings about his father Asgar are really interesting especially when we get to the end of the book when mm-hmm. he literally has like a, a vision or like a visual representation of his father you know over his shoulder all the time and 
I obviously haven't read, you know, further into that, but uh, it almost felt like a breaking point for him or like a moment in time where things are getting like very real, I suppose. If yeah, that no, makes the, sense. Yeah, like the stakes are definitely constantly going up, especially like pretty much the entirety of phase one specifically. It's just like it's you're on a like roller coaster ride consistently throughout the whole the whole like a story or where everything yeah, the, the stakes, the intensity is always just getting cranked up the entire time. The ending of the book was particularly intense, you know, because we get Loden back. Mm-hmm. Bell finds him on I'm trying to remember the ship name. Gaze Electric. The Gaze Electric, which is a sick name. It's very cool. But, uh, you know, we find Loden again. The way that he dies is so terrible. You know, they have the visual Mm -hmm. of it. In that moment, reading, like, just, you know, in Rising Storm, it's almost just you're disarrayed. You don't even know what's going on. It's hard to even understand. Like, it's just like suddenly he's there. Like, even Bell, I think, talks about it in the end of the book where he's like, he's there and then he's gone. And I came really like, properly process what happened and really you know already with him having to having having a complex relationship with grief of always thinking that Loden has been out there over yeah. this time period because it's it's about I think a year between Lie of the Jedi yeah. and Rising Storm where he's like you know he's like I'm convinced everyone thinks he's dead but I'm convinced my master's out there somewhere and then finally being confronted with the, the reality that he was right but it it's, doesn't matter okay I'm glad that you said that about the the disillusion or the mm-hmm. I, I was so not confused but i was like so much is going on i i can follow it but it's so it's a lot you mm-hmm. know it's an, it's it was a really intense part of the book but i i felt horrible for bell because it like you said like he had gone through all of this like go, these emotions these you know masters telling him like it's okay to feel this way you know, that it's normal, like this is grief, but then he feels that Loden is still alive. So it's just a lot. And then the moment that he, you know, reunites with him, he's in a horrible state. He's missing both of his Leku, I remember. Mm-hmm. And then he dies. It's almost like it would have been less grievous for Bell if, you know, Loden had been dead. Right. And I feel badly for saying that. What a horrible thing to see, especially having those feelings for a year. Yeah, it's like he find like the thing he really needed the whole time was closure, and then he finally gets it, and it's somehow even worse. And like also just like the, you know, the like thing of in light of the Jedi of them, you know, teaching Bell how to jump and and catch his fall, and then Bell has to stop Loden from falling out of the ship, and you know, it's just it's a very it's a full circle moment in a very tragic way. yeah, and I'm assuming you've seen the picture of the thing that kills Loden by now. I guess just being yeah. around on yeah, yeah. At the time, we didn't know what it looked like, so like really yeah. that kind of like you know confusion and chaos was so real because like you you get like a little hint of what it is when he's with oh gosh Udi Dis on right yeah. stand, and it's like yeah. okay, I I don't know what's going on. It, <laughs> there's, it's something I guess, and because it's from Udi's perspective that chapter. And then you come here and you're like, I still don't understand what's happening because it tells tells it through the perspective of like the the creature like jumping out of a ship. I don't know what's going on. And it was mm, like at least like four months until we saw a picture of this thing after this book came out. So it's just wow. there was so much just uncertainty. I, I don't know. It, it, it is a very chaotic moment and a very terrifying moment. 
in in time. Yeah. I'm really thankful for you know the encyclopedia just came out, and I've obviously mm-hmm. had to avoid it because there's actually a lot of spoilers in it. The art book with the pictures mm-hmm. has been so helpful because there are names thrown around, and you know throughout this pod, like you can tell, about they obviously haven't right. stuck. Like I had no idea what Stellan's master looked like until very recently, mm-hmm. but she's mentioned a lot, so I was so thankful for those pictures because they've cleared up a lot. As right. I was first reading Light of the Jedi, I was like, I don't know how anybody did this without concept yeah. art. <laughs> we at least we had. I mean, a lot of the concept art was out. It hadn't been collected. It was on like the Star Wars website, but it was out for most of these characters at the time. So like oh. at least we had some mental picture. Uh, okay. I will say, since you like briefly mentioned reference guides, I have to uh, plug what is still one of my favorite Star Wars books, and that's it's called Chronicles of the Jedi. It is a in in universe historical book, so like written from the perspective of like a Jedi archivist telling about the High Republic, uh, and it's it's gorgeous. All of the art is original for the book. So like, oh, I just randomly flipped Wow. Bell and Loden. Um, I would not read it until after you've done with phase two because it has spoilers for that. But okay. it is another. I recommend it to people coming that were going into phase three having not read phase one in a while as a way to refresh themselves. But it's a gorgeous book. And again, like just having visuals for all these characters is, I think, something that's so special. Um, I think a little, this is a little off topic. I really, what I really love for book concept art is because so often you get a book and even if you have like you know if obi-wan's in the book i know what obi-wan kenobi looks like that's fine but like these book original characters you don't know what they look like and i think what it's really important for representation of characters um like it's very easy for me to like if a character is black let's say for me to kind of read a abstract depiction of what they look like in the first chapter of a book and they kind of just forget what they look like um not intentionally it just happens but that's something i really love about the concept art it's like we're going to take you know luke's film being like we're going to take the time we're going to show you what these characters look like and that really i think helps me keep a handle on who everyone is because again yet there's also just so many people in these books well there's so many specific like characteristics with certain you know characters like bell bell's braids i thought was a really great you know character design and then you know load in and how you know i i don't know there, there's definitely like a lot of instances where i've referred to concept art and i've been so wowed i think why part of the reasons why i loved master jora was her leku and you know in the book she's described as very regal and mm-hmm. and very you know, sophisticated, and she appears that way too. And the concept art matches that. Like, it's I, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I I love the way they're clipped at the end, so it almost mm-hmm. looks like she's wearing this beautiful, elegant scarf, but it's really her a part of her. So I don't know. It's just it's things like that where these art books and these encyclopedias and the book, like you just showed, are so special. And I think they're some of the best parts of the book universe with Star Wars. I honestly think it's specifically, it probably, I don't know if I've thought about this before, but I think it's probably specifically the art of Jorah Mali that made me really, for some reason, really like the Togruten Emissary or whatever it's called in yeah. The Rising Store. I'm like, this is so cool. I don't know what, it, like we know very little about them. Um, yeah. Like we, they have like essentially like a queen, but other than that, like there, there, there's kind of some tension between them and the Republic, but that's about all we know. And I just like, it's so cool. And I think honestly, it's probably just because, hey, Jorah Molly looks so awesome. Cer- cer- certainly 
all the rest of these people also look very cool. And that's, just, again, the power of one piece of concept art, really. You know, we learn a little bit more about them in Tales of the Jedi. You know, we get a whole episode with little Ahsoka and her mother. But I, I was thinking about that a little bit. And I, always, and I was wondering, like, how we get from one point to the other. Going back, I wanted to ask, were there any characters in this specific book that stood out to you the most out of these three that we've discussed? I'll say one that we haven't discussed already. I think Ty York is a very interesting character just yeah. because like she is so mysterious at the beginning of the rising storm. You really don't know her motivations or anything about her, um, but she has like a sort of tenuous alliance with the Jedi, but was she a Jedi before all that? Like, I just think yeah. she's a very unique character also just like the idea of like a jedi monster hunter i think it's very cool but or a former yeah. you know jedi-ish monster hunter but yeah i i think she's a really cool addition um to the book the other one i'll just say briefly one of my kind of more glup shadowy characters for the high republic is des Ryden. i really loved his relationship with wreath um yeah a lot just like the kind of big brother vibes um i think he was a very i, I love him I, I was actually wondering where he was throughout all this because I know that he goes to, I'm forgetting the name of it, but he kind of he is takes dedicated. a brash vow. Yeah. Does he come back? No. No. <laughs> oh, so that not. was really that was the, the one. Last. Yeah. Okay. The, I, when I said earlier, like the characters that show back up from into their arc, he's the one that does not so far come anywhere. Man. Because that I also thought that was a good dynamic. I loved the scenes where Wreath was saving him from another name that's really hard the, to pronounce. Drangir. Yeah, okay, the Drangir. I want to say the Drangir, but the Drangir. I, I loved those scenes. I thought that him bringing, him kind of catching his attention using Jorah was, you know, even if he couldn't tell in the moment, like, what was really happening, but I did love that. And, like, leaning against him, I, I thought that was a good... It's always nice to read affection between Jedi, because I know that they have the attachment, you know, but I, I love when they call each other friends or have discussions that friends would have. I keep bringing it up, but like in Out of the Shadows, when Varnestra and Reed spar in the middle of the night and then, you know, go their separate ways and then he can sleep. But they have that really wonderful com conversation about the, you know, she gets to talk to him about how she feels in, in such a busy you know, fast-paced era, it, it's nice for, it's nice to take a breath with the characters, I think. For me, I think the character that stood out to me the most was also Ty, but Elzar as well, and their relationship when they're riding the dragons yes. together. Elzar even comments, like, he really likes Ty. Like, mm -hmm. he, he's so messy. But <laughs> he, I love how he, opened up to her in such an intimate way like and he just had like he trusted her enough to do that yeah i think it's just a very unique aspect of like both of them are so non-traditional that when they come together the the results are always very interesting and unique speaking of that scene she gets to see a very intimate moment of elzar's life but i couldn't understand if that was just like a thought that he had had or if it really happened Oh, uh, can you, it was it something about him and Avar? Can you remind yeah. me what it was? It was basically implied that, implied that they had like fornicated for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. I will, um, <laughs> I will keep my mouth shut. Oh, okay. So it's, <laughs> it's revisited? 
they have a i mean they do have an interesting relationship I'll, i will say that okay i'm excited but because i love them but that scene i was like hand over my mouth giggling but <laughs> yeah i i also really like ty's uh comics the, the yes. um monster of Temp- temple peak i think yeah yeah i wish that i had found that around like halloween time it has a mm-hmm. halloween vibe but yeah oh it I, was found, fun. Th- I was flipping through to find this for you this is <gasps> yeah this that is, is for so cool. listeners it's a, in chronicles of the jedi there's a gorgeous two-page spread of ty york and elzar man riding the sandballs so those, that's what the dragon things are called in um right the rising storm I wish that I can print some of this concept art and oh, just like plaster it all over the walls. Yes. Like, yes. My entire house is just high republic. I so I ended up it, it's a weird story. I ended up with the second copy of the art the art of book because the first one I got was defective so they had to send me a replacement. So I may have a bunch of the nice big spreads cut out that I need to find like a frame that fits. So but yeah, it's it's all also pretty. That's so cool. Right now, the art of the High Republic book is $15 on Amazon. Oh, that's insane. I think it's like $40 regularly or something like that. I think it's 50 Yes, it is 50 I snagged it so quick. I was like, I don't know when the sale will happen again. But <laughs> <laughs> kind of closing notes, but I think that this, you know, as someone who's just read it and who's like just mm-hmm. jumped into it and who's was really intimidated by it at first because, you know, there's so many books and so many fans and like a really large audience nowadays. Mm-hmm. I don't regret jumping into it, into it in the slightest. I think that this is this is like reignited my love for Star Wars and I've already like I'm a big fan, but I feel like this is such a different era for me that it's almost opened up a new door essentially or like it's introduced me to a new type of love that I could have for it. It's really good and I'm really thankful that you sent me that list. Yeah, of course. I'm always happy to help out people. Like, yeah, it like Savi mentioned, it's a very, it can be a very intimidating just place to start. There's so many books out there. Um, everyone has their own reading order. And that's a hard thing is if you ask for one, you'll probably get six uh, and they'll all be a little different. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great world. I think one of the nicer things about it is the fandom around it is a bit self-selecting where you're generally going to get the more positive people. So even if like, you know, you're intimidated. You're going to like, no one's going to yell at you for liking Geode if they are a real High Republic fan. Um, that's that's yeah. usually a pretty good indicator. If they hate Geode, uh, you probably should not talk to them. They're not worth your time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I it's it's such a great series and, you know, it's something I've been following now for almost three years. And, and it's really, you know, I've been excited to see you and some of my other friends kind of follow and join in a little, a little later and, and track their progress. So, uh, you know, I'm always happy to hear how everyone else has been enjoying these books and these comics and everything. I think that that's what was so easy about getting into it was the like the welcoming aspect mm-hmm. is that sometimes there's a fear where it's like, well, these people already love these characters and know these characters. And, you know, I'm kind of just being introduced to them. I've been talking to so many people about Stellan and Elzar and and Avar and being welcomed so quickly. And I'm not going to say that, like, I know so much just because I've read, because there's 
so much to still learn. You know, I'm so new to it, but people have been so welcoming. Mm-hmm. It has been really nice because it can be really scary getting into a different aspect that you're not essentially right. comfortable in. I try to be that way with, you know, like Andor and Rogue mm-hmm. One. Like, I always love it when somebody comes out and says that they love either. It's nice to know that it's kind of a two-way street, so. Yeah, yeah of course. Like, honestly, I have not had the pleasure of being at a celebration or anything yet but like one of my favorite things is always seeing the big high republic meetups because it's just yeah such a positive happy group of people um and uh, like I i think there's also something to be said about certain areas of fandom being obviously more resistant to women femme presenting people and 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 queer people but the high republic fandom is built up of a very large percentage of those people so i think that really helps kind of make others hopefully feel more comfortable jumping into something that again has um like dozens of books at this point um you know yeah th- there's there's a lot of people that would love to get more people to read them and really talk about all the things that you know just like we've been talking for i don't know like an hour plus of how much we like just three books uh there's so yeah. much more to really kind of explore We'll have to have you on again, and hopefully Linz will be able to join us. I did not want to spoil this for her, but I'm sure she'll catch up. Yeah. But uh, usually in Stardust Records fashion, we ask all of our guests uh, if you... We ask them a fun question, okay. but if you could shadow any Star Wars character for a day, who would you shadow? And we'll we'll do it to High Republic Yeah, okay. That's, I can do that. I would say I think I would love to shadow... Um, probably Comac. I think he's you know similar to Wreath, where he's a, a very introverted, keeps himself in the archives kind of type person. I think there would just be so much to learn and appreciate about the world that I could see through his lens specifically. Um, so I would say him, also he's just one of, again one of my more favorite characters as we see his adventure in the book. So I would say probably Comac would be a great person to shadow for a day. He would definitely be a good one, I think. I loved him and Reed's dynamic that we first kind of got in Out of the Shadows where he's like, yeah, go ahead and eat, but like, I'm going to go see if this new novel came in or yeah. something like that. <laughs> Comac is all of us just checking, like, did the th- is, is my hold in on Libby? Like, is the, <laughs> can I get in line for the new book before everyone else? He would definitely have multiple library cards open mm-hmm. just to Ch- get a quicker... <laughs> Yeah, just like me for real. I have I have two or three. <laughs> I have two. I was like, I I have a lot of High Republic books to read. Like, I'm gonna need to start off in a, a daily library card. <laughs> yeah, that is that is my big advice for High Republic readers. If you're going, if you are crazy enough to read the short stories in the Star Wars Insider magazine, your library probably has access to it on Libby, and then you don't have to pay for them. So definitely do that. Yeah, that's how I've been reading the Star Wars Insiders. I've just mm-hmm. been like. Yep. scrolling on the way down <laughs> but um i think for me i would do joss and pika it's a great it's a great pick. I, w- I would want to be their child for a day but <laughs> <laughs> i think that i would have so much fun with them i think that their dynamic is really really cute and mm-hmm. i feel like you could learn a lot from them but they remind me a little bit of what bix and brasso could be Ooh. I like that. I, I, I like need, it too. We need Joss, Pika, Bix, Brasso, Double Date when they finally get to go on their vacation. I would <laughs> be there for that so hard. <laughs> Me too. I would do anything to watch that or to see that or to read it. But 
you know, in any shape or form. But they would just have a lovely time together. And I hope that they enjoy their vacation eventually. Mm -hmm. They all get to go to Neomos. There are no shore troopers there. It's just a great time (laughs) on the beach. Fix and Brasso are definitely born in the wrong generation. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many characters that I think of that nowadays. Mm -hmm. As I'm reading The High Republic, I'm like, ugh. Anakin was born in the wrong generation. Yeah, truly, <laughs> yeah. AO3 writers, please get on it. I need, yeah, I need the Big Sprasso Adrian's double date. You can DM it to me when you're done. Thank you. <laughs> That'd be so fun. Well, Jacob, it's been great having you on. I'm so appreciative that you took the time out to come chat with me about it. Uh, where can listeners find you on social media? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You can find me at Jacob Boosh, like the bounty hunter, B O U. SHH, both on Twitter and TikTok. I also do a bi weekly Star Wars comics books podcast called The Cosmic Force. But been really nice talking with you. I always love chatting about the High Republic. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. And uh, listeners, we'll see you next week for another episode of Stardust Records. Bye bye.